Pastor Kevin did ask me if I could to uh, spend this morning and talk on a topic that um, is, is near to my heart, um, and that's a topic of heaven. And um, we spent some time this summer in the midweek on the subject, and he asked if I could do a sermon based upon that. And so we're going to spend some time, we're going to talk about our eternal rest in place where we get to spend all eternity. And C.S. Lewis said this, he said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. And so we want to spend some time thinking about the next world because we do want to be effective in this world for proclaiming the gospel. And so thinking ahead of of where we'll be. For me, it was a journey that started one night uh, upstairs in the bedroom with two boys saying our nightly prayers. And one was probably three, four, five years old and the other one two or so. And and Joshua turned to me and said, Dad, tell me everything you know about heaven. And, of course, I assumed it was just a way not to go to sleep because uh, that would have been. But then I started to talk about the things about heaven and started thinking, you know, how much of what do I know is anecdotal that I just, you know, you hear people talk about or so on versus what does the Bible actually say about heaven? And I... I, in wanting to to serve my sons and and let them know about heaven, set out on a study about it and bought just about any book that, of of any substance on the subject and spent a time studying about this topic of where we're going to be for all eternity. And um, the first thing I want you to to know about it is that it's real. And that may sound strange, but a lot of people don't really believe that. They, you know, that is maybe some ethereal thing that your spirit just kind of rests in, in limbo or some kind of thing. But, but I want you to go back to that verse we read together, John, that passage, John 14, 1 through 3, in our scripture reading. And it said, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want you to understand first and foremost, it's a place. It's really there. There's a place we're going to go to. Jesus is there and he's going to come back and he's going to get us and take us there. It's a place. I, one of the books that I bought, the author, who was you know, a Christian author, said that heaven was a divine hard drive, that, that, that God has this big hard drive, and, and heaven for you is going to be different than heaven for you because God's going to program heaven differently for each one of us, and we're just up there in this divine hard drive. He was serious. I mean, he wrote an entire book about the technology of how God was going to do this. And no, it's not. It's a place. And Jesus said if it, if it wasn't, if there weren't mansions there, if there weren't rooms there and dwelling places, he would have told us. It's a place and it's a promise. He promises to take us to this place that he is preparing for us. A place and a promise. The verse uses words like mansions. Some of your versions may say dwelling places or rooms. I like the word mansion. 
personally a lot. Um, but here's what's interesting. It's, it's in our Father's house, right? And I don't know. I, I know probably most of the women here, you know, Jane Austen, if you take those Jane Austen novels, and some of you guys are the movies that your wife's dragged you to to watch, but some of us actually like them and, and watch them, right? But in, in, those, in those movies... You know, typically they're set in a country estate in England, right? And, and some mansion in a country estate where, with the, the family. And then, um, you know, they, they go away to, to London to court. And really, that was the place to be. You see, you know, the place to be in that situation was at the king's court or the queen's court because that's where the action was. That's where the ruler was. And if you had a room at court, you were there. And Jesus Christ is promising you a room at the court of the creator of the universe. And you're going to be there for all eternity. And he's preparing it for us. It's a promise of a place for us to go to. And usually when we talk about that, we get the questions like Joshua would ask, and what are we going to do there? What's it going to be like? And... and um, you know, that's, that's appropriate to talk about. We're going to spend eternity there. You know, one of the first things for me that we're going to do there is we're going to meet the loved ones that have gone on before us. You know, those that in Christ are there, and we're going to meet them. And when I meet my dad, he's not going to be in a wheelchair and blind. He's, I, you know, I will recognize him, but he's going to be something that he looked like when he was in the prime of life. David said that you know, he was going to meet his infant son in heaven. We know we're going to meet them. We know we're going to recognize them. The apostles at the, at the transfiguration, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus and Moses and Elijah were glorified, Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, meet Moses, you know, John, meet Elijah. They knew immediately who they were in their glorified existence at that point. We are going to know our loved ones. We're going to know who they are. And you know what? We're going to know them in love. And that last thing you may have wanted to say to them, you won't need to have said to them. Whatever might have happened that you wish didn't happen, you don't have to worry about that because you're going to meet them in love. And you're going to hug them and you're going to know them and you're going to be there as brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to meet your loved ones. I'm going to meet my loved ones, my mother, my father, my brother, who are already there and long to see them as well. Some of the other things we're going to do, we're going to learn. Um, Some cults and some things say, you know, we're going to become gods or we already are gods. Well, we aren't. Um, we're, We're redeemed humans, but the scriptures do tell us that God gives us the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be and indwell with us forever, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is teach us, and he's going to teach us forever. We're going to learn things that we have no clue about, in all honesty, because um, we, we don't know what it's going to be like. But, you know, there may be a heavenly physics class, 101, you know, where we learn about heavenly physics. And sitting in the desk next to you is going to be Sir Isaac Newton, a brother in the Lord who needs to learn heavenly physics as well. Um, you know, he, uh, Sir Isaac Newton wrote more words about the Bible than he did about science or mathematics. He, he loved the Bible, and he wrote about prophecy and Daniel and Revelation. He loved the Bible. 
or you may learn music. And, uh, you know, today's teaching assistant is uh, Brother Beethoven, who wrote uh, many, many words and composed uh, music that is glorifying to God. Maybe you'll be there to learn it because some of you may be, want to be playing on the worship team in the throne room of God. You know, the, the, the scriptures in Exodus 25 and in Hebrews 8 tell us that the temple on earth was a foreshadowing of what was in heaven. That uh, the, Moses went up on Sinai and he got, he got the plans of what to build on the earth, but it was a shadow of what it was in heaven. And, and uh, God prescribed temple worship teams. And if you, uh, if you go to First Chronicles 16, or you go to Nehemiah 12 and read about them, and, and there's these worship teams and cymbals and trumpets and harps and strings. God likes music. He likes the worship that comes along with that music, and maybe, maybe we'll get a chance to play there. But for me, I'm going to have to go to a class and learn how to do that because I don't have that skill myself. Probably the most common question, uh, are we going to eat there, right? Especially in this church, everybody wants to know, because RBC and EAT go together. Um, as we, um, the answer is yes, of course we will, because we, we know from Scripture, it talks about the New Jerusalem, and it talks about the river of living water proceeding from the throne. On either side of the, of the water are trees that bear fruit, a new fruit each month of the year to feed the nations. And we're going to eat. And that, that, that fruit is supported by the living water that proceeds from the throne. And some commentators in, say in the original language that, that there's the sense of tributaries coming off of that. And really the entire New Jerusalem is a park of water and fruit. We know the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming for us, where we get to sit down. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ are believers that we get to feast with our espoused. We're the bride of Christ. And there's a marriage feast of the Lamb coming up. And, you know, you may be sitting down next to Peter at that marriage feast, or Moses, or Daniel, or Ezekiel, as you sit in Talk about what the Lord has done. You may want to sit, have read the book of Ezekiel, therefore, so when you sit down next to him, you can say, I read your book. And, uh. The biggest question around this group, though, is there going to be bacon? And I, and I don't know what the, <laughs> what the answer for is. You had the men's ministry yesterday. You know that's an important part. But since there is no death in heaven, we wonder that... Uh, Whatever God has for us is going to be better than anything we have here on earth. What we won't do is also important. You know, we, we won't go to the doctor. We're not going to ever have to go to a dentist. Again, I'm sorry for the doctors and dentists that might be here. We won't go to funerals. There's no more fear. There's no more tears of sorrow. There's no more sin. There are things that we don't do also tell us about what it's about, about who we are, where all that has been removed from us as, as we serve our God, which are some of the important things that we do there. Revelation 22.3 tells us that we serve our Lord forever. 
and that we're going to rule and reign with him forever, and that we're going to worship him forever. The word uh, loud in the Greek in Revelation is used 22 times. Heaven is going to be loud. The worship is going to be loud. The angels proclaim with loud voices. God's going to have to redo our ears. You know we're going to get new bodies. It's going to be loud. If you're one of those ones that sit in the pews and don't, God's going to change you. You're going to worship loudly because he wants to hear our praises in that city of the new Jerusalem, the capital city, which is 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles tall. Now, the edge of the atmosphere is only 800 miles. The Lord is going to have to do something there, and we know we have a new heaven and a new earth, but it's a very big city. It's the equivalent of going from L.A. just beyond Dallas up to Winnipeg and then back over to Vancouver and down. That's the size of the capital city of the new heavens and the new earth, and that's where your dwelling place is. That's where your room is. It's a city that when we, the first thing we talk about was with Josh or any of your kids, you probably talk about streets paved with gold, right? Well, it's more than just streets. The entire city is made of gold that's so pure as translucent. The foundations of heaven, there's 12 of them, each one of them a precious stone. It'd be jasper or sapphire, or amethyst, all these different colors. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glory. And when you know that the light that comes from the throne that shines on all that gold and all that precious stone is going to be beautiful. But I want you to get a different sense of this. The things that we as men have treasured, killed for, lied for, stolen, these things that are so precious are nothing more than asphalt and drywall and cement in heaven. It's going to be beautiful, but the focus isn't on gold, and the focus isn't on precious stones. The focus is on Jesus Christ. And we tend to focus on this part of it, and I want to spend today, what, and I want to focus on the other part, because that's what heaven's about. And we, we, we've bracketed our readings today. We started with Isaiah 6. And we saw into the throne room of heaven prior to the incarnation. And we saw a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ sitting on the throne. His robe filled the temple. We have seraphim around. We have worship going on. And that's the pre-incarnate view of Christ into the the temple room, the throne room. We're going to look at, on the other side, a view into the throne room, Revelation 5. If you want to open your Bibles there, start, we'll start reading. Revelation 5, we're going to get a view into the throne room that John saw about 95 AD when he was taken into heaven and given this vision. It's a th- view in a throne room before eternity starts, before the eternal place, because the final things have not culminated. But it gives us a hint as to what's going on to he- into heaven today. And also gives us a hint as to what's important. And so let's start with Revelation 5, verse 1. We're going to read a portion and then stop and talk a little about it and then going to go on a little bit more. 
And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and I behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Let's pause there for a moment. We, we have this, this view into the throne room of God, and we see the lamb as if he had been slain. You see, he wasn't slain. He rose from the dead. He was killed, but he rose from the dead. He defeated death. But we have this vision of Jesus taking this scroll. And what is that scroll? Well, I agree with many commentators that scroll is a title deed to the earth. That Jesus has earned the right to take that scroll and take possession of the earth. And there are seven seals of judgment upon that earth. But we see this song that's going to come up. And we're going to see this view of the throne. And we're going to start at the back. And we're going to work forward. Okay, we're going to start. It's going to tell us something about this throne room. It's going to tell us something about what the focus should be. And starting at the back, the first group of people that we see are the redeemed. You and I, the faithful, who have placed their faith in Christ. You see, we know that it says... You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us. Now, some of your verses may not have that word, but I can tell you in the, in the Greek, there's 24 extant manuscripts that cover this section of Scripture, Revelation. Of those 24 Greek manuscripts, 23 use the Greek word for us. One of them uses the word for them. Some versions have used and taken that for the, the side for them. But 23 say us. And then later on it talks about, you know, you have made us kings and priests. Us. It's talking about the redeemed. This is a song that you and I are going to sing in heaven someday. You have redeemed us, O oh Lord. In the, in the eternal state, working from the back forward, if we will, we're going to have... The pre-Mosaic saints, you know, Enoch, Abraham, 
or the Old Testament saints, Moses, David, the New Testament, the apostles, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, Luther, Augustine, we're going to have a number, millions of us sitting there praising God. The song of the this spoken, sang, sung here that's going to be sung for all eternity at different points. You have redeemed us. But I, have you, did you ever get jealous? I don't know. I, when I read the scriptures and I see like Abram, when he becomes a believer, he gets a new name. You know, and Cephas, when he believes, he gets a new name. You know, he becomes Peter. And, and this guy Saul, who's a real troublemaker, he gets knocked off a horse and he gets a new name. You know, I'm, I haven't got a new name yet. Um, I want a new name. Um, flip a couple pages over in Revelation to, to Revelation 2. You're going to look at verse 17. It says, in this message to the churches, Jesus says this in verse, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Well, this is is to the churches. It's to us. You're going to get a new name. It's going to be written on a stone. And only you and the Lord know it. It's a special name. It's a personal name. It's a name that God has picked out for you, and you're going to get it. Flip, Continuing over to chapter 3, gets a little bit more interesting. Chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he, will, he shall not go out. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. We get a new name. Jesus gets a new name. Not only does Jesus get a new name, but get ready for this. I, I know some of... But he's going to write that name on you in the name of God, in the name of the new Jerusalem. You need to prepare to get tatted up. Do you understand? It's going to happen. Some of us are a little bit smarter to wait when it's going to be painless. And, uh, okay? Uh, but the name of our God, the name of our Savior is going to be honest. And so, as we go forward in our in our view of this throne room, we're going to start with Revelation, continue Revelation 5, 11 through 12. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There's going to be a lot of angels there. Worshiping God. We, we've got all kinds of angels anyway. We've got messenger angels. We've got Gabriel who came down to give the message uh, to Mary. Gave a message to, to Daniel. A message to um, Elizabeth. Zacharias. We have angels that have guided Elijah into heaven. Uh, we do have guardian angels. Now, may, may or not be that each individual one of us has ones. That's in just, you know, people talk about that. But we do know 
And in 2 Kings chapter 6, one morning Elisha and his servant woke up and they came out of the tent and surrounding the camp of Israel were armies from the Assyrian army. And obviously, as I would, the servant was a little bit nervous, seeing all these armies. And Elisha says, you know, kind of, you don't, you, you just don't understand. Lord, he prays, Lord, would you open his eyes so that he sees what's really going on here? And the Lord answers that prayer, and he opens the servant's eyes, and they see an army of chariots of fire and horses. They're there to guard the people of God. We have guardian angels, at least in the sense that God's people, we have ministering spirits. The angels minister to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have warrior angels. We've got uh, in the uh, recount of uh, Sennacherib surrounding Jerusalem, and there are armies surrounding it. And it says that one angel wiped out 185,000 of the Assyrian army, and Sennacherib ran away. I would too, if there were a whole bunch of those around. Sometimes we have this idea of angels of this little cherub, little fat little cherub baby, and we really don't understand who our God is and who his angels are. But let's look at this number that are there. It says 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands upon thousands. And um, again, uh, going the, the Greek word for that word, 10,000, is the, the word myrios, which is the, we get myriad, and we have myriad of people. And what's interesting about this word is in the, in the original language here, it's actually plural. So it's not really 10,000, it's 10,000s. You see, the, the, the word myrios, it stood either for the highest number in the Greek language, which was 10,000. Like, you know, I don't even know what the highest number is in the English language, you know. When I was a kid, it would be billion, trillion, but the number goes beyond that now. But the highest number in the Greek language was 10,000. And if you wanted to say 20,000, you said two myrios. That would be two times 10,000. That's how you got it. Or however you did it, it was a multiple of myrios. Or the other sense of the word was, was it was an innumerable word, which meant it was more than 10,000 and so many more, you couldn't put a number on it. And in this case, it's a plural. So it's saying that there's... Ten thousands times ten thousands of angels and thousands of thousands, which is another multiplication. If you just took the small number there, ten thousand and twenty thousand times twenty thousand plus two thousand times two thousand, that's four million angels around the throne of God that are worshiping Him and singing this song with a quiet voice, with a loud voice. Four million. If you went the other direction and said it's an innumerable number, how many are there? Well, it's innumerable, but just to give you a sense of how innumerable it is, uh, if we, you won't have to flip there, but if we went to Revelation 9 where it talks about the armies that are going to come against Jerusalem and Armageddon, it uses a number, 200 million. Well, if that's you know, a number that's there, then an innumerable number is more than that. And so if we did 200 million times 200 million plus it's something, and then it, well, it's over four quadrillion angels around the throne of God singing this song. What I want to get the sense across 
is that there's a whole ton of worship going on at the throne of God. It's not about the city of gold. It's not about, you know, pearly gates. It's about the object of this worship of millions upon millions of creatures who are worshiping the lamb that was slain and was risen for our sins. It's all about the glory of God. When, 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 when we don't even understand the glory of God, we really don't. There's, there, we get hints of this from the, from the Holy Spirit in his revealed word. But remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai, the second time from the Exodus, and he's receiving information from God. And he, sa- and, uh, he says, Lord, just show me your face. You know, I'd like to see your face. Can I see you? And God says, Moses, you don't even understand. If I showed you myself, you would die. But here's what I'll do. I'll put you in this little cleft in the rock, squeeze you in this little, and I'll let the backside of my glory. And you all know that famous scene of Charlton Heston coming down with wavy gray hair, you know, because the scripture says that Moses' face shone with radiance from the glory of God, that, that just his physical being changed from just this little glimpse of the glory of God. And we are going to get the opportunity to sit in the throne room of God and see it in all of his glory. Moving back to front again a little bit further, we have the redeemed, we have angels, and then we have these uh, strange guys. You know, started to, actually, if we Revelation 4 actually has a little bit better. If you want to go to Revelation 4, and we'll give us a little bit more information about these four living creatures. It says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and worship him, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. We have these very different creatures and their entire existence from when they were created for all eternity is to attend the throne of God by saying, holy, holy, holy. Their eyes have never seen sin. All it's ever seen, if they've seen anything, because two wings cover their eyes, two wings cover their feet, and the other two they're flying with. We don't know if they've ever actually seen anything other than their wings, but assuming that they have seen, they've only seen the glory of God. And that's all that they have seen continually for all eternity. 
God likes creatures. He likes animals. He likes us. He loves us. His creation was good before the fall. And he loves his creation. You've seen those those documentaries like Discovery Channel and so on where they take the subs, you know, down into the deep of the ocean and they, these bright lights and you see all these fish of different colors, you know, that shine and, and colors that you've never seen before on, on a fish. Well, up until we had the technology to do that, the only one that knew they were there was God. He created them. And he enjoyed in their existence for thousands upon thousands of years before we ever had a clue they were there. God loves his creation. He likes diversity. And we continue coming forward and we hit center stage. And center stage is the throne, the throne of God. We know God the Father is there on the throne. We, we pray that quite often. Our Father who art in heaven. We know the Father is there. We know the Holy Spirit is there. We hear his voice being spoken in, in Revelation 5 and throughout Revelation, the words of the Holy Spirit. God, who's the architect of our salvation, the Father who, who designed it, the Son who worked it out, who worked out our salvation on the cross, and the Holy Spirit who drew you to Christ, who maybe today has drawn you here. You see, heaven, when we talk about heaven, the reality of it is it's a place, but it's the place where God is. You see, in Scripture, that's there a number of times. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is where God makes his abode, his throne room. Right now, it's in a dimension we can't see unless God opens it up, as he did for the servant of Elisha. But someday, that is going to come down in a capital city on the new heavens, on the new earth, and you have a place there in the Father's house to enjoy with him forever. But this entire this entire scene is to bring focus and worship on Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God's work, the Father's work. And seemingly the focus, at least here in this passage of Scripture of Revelation 5, is a focus is on Christ. He's the Yahweh in Isaiah 6. He made that clear in John eight fifty eight. If you the first time that you know decades ago when the Lord finally showed that through my brain is that you know when when Jesus said to them Pharisees said you know that he would take down the temple and rebuild it and that he called himself the I am. And that's the I am that was in Exodus 3.14, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And in case we don't really believe that, we know those Pharisees did because they realized he wasn't just saying, you know what, I've been living for 2,000 years and just a really old guy. He was claiming to be the presence that was at the cleft of that rock with Moses. 
And we know that because of what they did. They picked up stones to stone him because he had blasphemed in their minds the God because he had claimed to be that God. And so we know our call to worship in Isaiah 6, Yahweh on the throne, that was the pre-incarnate Christ. We know in Revelation 5, on the throne, we have Christ risen and glorified. It's all about Christ. Our, our church, the tagline on your bulletin, are Christ-centered, Bible-driven. That's the point. Our focus is on Jesus and what he has done, and he's to be glorified. We want you to fall more and more in love with Jesus every day. You know, even our sanctuary, although you may not realize it, it focuses right there. The beam that comes down to the cross, look at the slats. They're there by design. They're pointing towards the cross. The windows, you may never have noticed, but the windows up above you point to the cross. You know, in architecture, there's this, this concept that, you know, as you follow the lines, your, your sight will follow them. And they're all in this church pointing right there to the cross. In our case, it's symbolic of an empty cross. But in Revelation 5, in the throne room, they're all pointing to a risen, glorified Christ. And all of creation is worshiping him. It's not about gold. It's not about all those things. It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done. And, and throughout history, a question has been asked in different ways by different people or statements. Martin Luther said, I had rather be in hell with Christ than in heaven without him. And so you might hear often today the question asked, would you really want to be in heaven if Christ weren't there? And the answer should be no. And one, it is impossible because heaven is where Christ is. And so we're going to come up and we're going to continue our worship. We're going to continue that worship, hopefully in loud song. But we're also going to continue in the Lord's Supper. And the focus is all going to be about Christ and what he's done. But I also want to finish one last bit of scripture, and that's Revelation twenty-two sixteen through 17. If you hear these words, Jesus' words regarding heaven. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. That's us. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I don't know if there's anybody in here that has yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. But I would say now is the moment to do so. As we partake and worship in your heart, if you haven't done that, place your faith in Christ. He's the center of the universe. He deserves our worship. He will get our worship. Every knee will bow before him and proclaim him. And so we invite you to place your faith in Christ.
And we ask you to worship with us as we do so. And so let's bow our heads and pray and just thank him for all he's done. Just in your mind, know he's on that throne room right now, sitting on that throne. Worship's going on around him, loud worship, angels, millions of them singing and praying. And so let's join in that heavenly worship. Lord, we come to you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, for the work you did on the cross, um, just the work you've done in our lives. Holy Spirit, for drawing us to Christ. Father, for designing this salvation that does not depend upon me. That's all of you. It's your work, your design. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, uh, can't wait till that day when we see new loved ones that uh, we haven't seen for a while, but that are changed. They're new because you've glorified them. And we get to join together and worship you and praise you. And we come to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.